please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Our scripture today is Matthew 17, 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of the very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three, sh um, three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I'm very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one is raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I think the Walker Williams household deserves a few extra points this year because we watched the Super Bowl. I know for a lot of you, this whole sports ball thing is like a big deal. Um, but in our house, it, it kind of usually goes nearly unnoticed. Um, we start to get a lot more excited around the end of February. In fact, I'm super excited. Today is like my Super Bowl day. Um, so for those of you who don't know, really, oh, really by now, there are a lot of people who are getting into very special outfits with a lot of extra glitz and glam, and they're gonna go to this theater in Los Angeles, and there they're gonna hand out these little trophies. They're gold, they call them Oscars, right? And so just like those of you who like watch the, the World Series or the Super Bowl and you have your scorecard and you're keeping all the stats, like we've seen the movies, we have our bets on who ought to get best director and best picture, and really my money this year, my heart at least, is on La La Land. I saw La La Land and I just fell in love with this movie. Now, it helps that I am one of those kids that grew up on old Hollywood, not old, that's the wrong word, classic <laughs> Hollywood musicals. Because if you haven't seen them, you should. And La La Land is, is not just a movie in that vein. Right? It isn't just the kind of musical that they don't really make anymore. It's actually a movie that pays homage to all of those movies gone past. It is just chock full with these little allusions to great moments in cinema history. If you haven't seen it, I promise no spoilers, but I wanted to show you a couple, right? So there's this moment straight out of Singing in the Rain, right? Or one of my favorites was from Funny Face. Or the ballet that is right out of an American in Paris. The director's taken great pains to kind of hit these notes that work really well as their own story, 
But if you're the kind of person that grew up watching these movies, loving these movies, you're getting these little extra layers of information as you watch this movie. If you want to see all of them, there's actually a little video on YouTube where somebody much smarter than I has like put them all together. And it's so cool to see how rich they make this story. I thought about this today, not just because it's Oscar day, but because the text we read actually functions a lot like La La Land. It is, for a Jewish audience, just chock full of all of these allusions to the great stories and moments of their history. We heard from Matthew today this story um, about how Jesus takes three of his disciples, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, to the mountain. And there they have this experience where they see Jesus surrounded by a cloud and having a conversation with Moses, the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. And they see him in a way they have never seen him before. Now, for the original audience who might have been reading us from the very beginning, there are these little illusions happening. Our reading started six days later. I hate it when we do that. If you're like me, you want to go, six days after what? So six days after, Peter had a conversation with Jesus in which Peter said for the first time, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, yes. Here's what that means. And Peter said, no, that can't be what it means. And Jesus rebuked him. Six days after that, Jesus takes them to the mountain for a real experience of what it will mean to call him Christ. So starting right there, they go to the mountain. So the, the one they go to is the mountain you can't see very well. We think now it's Mount Tabar. There's actually a a church on the top of it that people visit that commemorates this moment of transfiguration. But there are lots of great stories in the Jewish tradition where God shows up on the mountain. If we were the kind of church that read the whole lectionary, we'd have heard the story from Exodus, where Moses goes up the mountain and a cloud descends and he hears the voice of God. And when he comes down, his face is shining Sounds a little familiar. We, don't, we might have told the story of Elijah, who needs to hear from God, so he goes all the way out into the desert to find that mountain. And there's a wind and a storm and an earthquake, and then God shows up and talks to Elijah, and he has to come down from the mountain to a new mission. For the first hearers of Matthew's story of the transfiguration, they'd have been picking up these little moments, what it meant to go to the mountain, what it meant that Jesus was shining with the glory of God, what it meant that Peter wanted to build a booth on the top of the mountain. Because see, they have a festival where there's a festival for six days and then they build a shrine to God. The story would have been full of these moments. And they might have had an experience like Peter and like the Israelites 
who saw the glory of God, who experienced all of this glitz and spectacle and got caught up in it. So often when we hear the story, we focus on the great change that happens in Jesus' appearance. But both in Exodus and in the text we heard today, there's a danger in getting so caught up in the spectacle that we miss the real substance of what God has to say. Right? Peter's so impressed by what's happening to Jesus that he, he starts speaking and he gets really excited and he's like, it's good that we're here. We're going to build some booths. We're going to invite you and Elijah to stay. And, and there's this really polite line in the text. It's so nicely written. And while Peter was still speaking, it sounds so sweet in the text, but really in that moment when the voice is coming out of a giant cloud over your head, it, you imagine Peter kind of got cut off mid-sentence and is left there doing the fish gape. <laughs> right? He's so caught up in the spectacle, but what God wants to say is, no, 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 no. Listen. Listen. And God repeats what we heard at Jesus' baptism. Behold, this is my son in who I am well pleased. And then he adds a line. Listen to him. Peter is caught up in the spectacle. He merely misses the substance. But he is going to need the substance in the days to come. It's important that um, this word that we talk about. See, they go up to the mountain and Peter says, it's good that we'll hear, if you want, I'll make you three shrines. That's what the CEB says. Uh, other places say booths or tabernacles. The word there in, in Greek, skein, would have been translated booth or tabernacle. And in that word, we have a clue to what's really happening on that mountain. See. So often we think Peter's mistake is that he wants to stay up there. We identify with this mistake, right? Anybody had that mountaintop experience? You've gone to Emmaus or church camp or that really awesome women's retreat or men's retreat and you're just like, could this just last forever? It's not a mistake to want that feeling to last forever, so long as you know that it can't. The mistake is that, that Peter misses the tabernacle. See, he chooses this word. We will build a shrine for you. It's this word that we translate booth or tabernacle, but it's also the word that John uses in the prologue to his gospel, in that first chapter of John. You, you, some of you may know this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Right, so he goes down and he says, and the word became flesh. And often we translate it and dwelt among us or and lived among us. But the word in Greek is the same. And the became flesh and tabernacled among us. Peter's mistake isn't wanting to stay on the mountain. Peter's mistake is thinking that there is something different happening on the mountain 
than has been happening the whole time he was with Jesus. Peter thinks he has to build the tabernacle where he is, but it has been with him all of these months that he has journeyed with Christ. Oftentimes, we refer to this story as the transfiguration of Jesus. Now, Harry Potter fans in the house? Anybody? Oh, I'm alone? Seriously? All right. If, you, if you're a Harry Potter fan, you know that when you go to transfiguration class, that's the place where you learn how to turn a mouse into a teacup, right? It is the place where you fundamentally change the nature of something, where it goes from being one thing to being something else. And so when we call this the transfiguration of Jesus, we imply that Jesus is becoming something that he wasn't before. It's an easy mistake to make. Certainly the disciples see Jesus as they've never seen him before. But our faith says that Jesus was in the beginning and is in the present and will be at the end. There is nothing about Jesus on that mountain that wasn't already there, whether the disciples could see it or not. He doesn't suddenly become the Son of God in this moment. He doesn't suddenly become a king in glory. They just get to see it. There is a transformation in appearance. But Jesus is the same as he has been. He has always been Lord, and he always will be. The real transfiguration occurs in the disciples. In the lectionary, this text comes up every year at this point in the year. At this point where we go from Epiphany to Lent. Now, if you're not a church nerd like me, Epiphany is the season where we learn what it means to live by the light of Christ. And Lent is the season where we take all the stuff Jesus taught us and we figure out how to live it as disciples. The same turn is happening in the story. That's why we read it right now. Up until this point, the disciples have walked with Jesus. They have learned from Jesus. He has poured into them. He's finally gotten to the place where he could say, so this is what it really means to say that I'm Christ, and this is what will be required of you. I will suffer, I will die, I will come back on the third day, and I will commission you as my disciples. And when they heard that for the first time, six days before this story, they had a little freak out. They tried to rebuke Jesus. We've discussed before what kind of guts that takes. So he takes them to the mountain to show them what it will look like because he knows he's at this turning point. He has taught them what he's going to teach them. They go up the mountain to have it reinforced because when they come down the mountain, they're headed to Jerusalem. They're going to start the long walk to the cross. And from this point forward in Matthew's gospel, it's going to get harder and harder to be a disciple of Jesus. There's a reason he tells them, don't talk about this immediately. 
You caught that right there at the end? Don't tell this story until the Son of God comes back. Because this story isn't just for the moment. It isn't this amazing experience they have that they get to go shout from the rooftops. This story is foundation. This story is packing the provisions that they will need for the months to come. This story is meant to sustain them and to call him the son of God in glory will only put them in more danger. See, in Jesus' time, there were a lot of people who wanted to use that term, son of God. You know some of their names. Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus, Nero, The great demagogues of Jesus' world claimed this glory of God. But Jesus says on the mountain is, their glory is not what real power looks like. Mine is the kingdom, and I will give you a taste of what it looks like so that you can keep going through the times to come. I think that we need to hear this story today. I'm one of those people that has to be reminded often that Jesus is Lord. Because I have to tell myself that, you know, if Jesus is Lord of my life, then that means that nothing else gets to be. Not fear, not anxiety, not greed, not even worry. Y'all are holier than I, so I'm sure none of those things ever take over your life. What Jesus says is, I have always been Lord, and I always will be. See what the kingdom will look like. Here is the gift that I give to sustain you. But we are good Wesleyans. Every blessing, every gift of God is also a challenge. And so too it is for the disciples on that mountain. They are given this great gift of assurance, this glimpse into what will be. They see Christ in his full glory and they have to come down from the mountain and live as though that were true. And they will do it to better or worse extent. They will have to claim that Jesus is Lord even when he wants to wash their feet. They will have to claim that Jesus is Lord even when they're in the garden and he's being arrested. They will have to claim that Jesus is Lord even standing in the courtyard of their enemies when they're asked, don't you know that man? And sometimes they'll succeed. And sometimes they'll fail. It doesn't change whether or not Jesus is Lord, and it doesn't change how much he loves them. And they get back up, and they keep living as disciples day after day after day. They go down from that mountain, they go through Jerusalem, and they become a force who shares a story that has changed the very foundations of the world because they believed what they saw in this story at this moment. And they shared it with the world. 
so too is our challenge today. To hear the good news that no matter what's going on in your life or around the world, Jesus Christ is still Lord and he still holds it all in his hands. And your call as a disciple is to live every day, every moment as though that were absolutely true. Even when you're on the mountain and it's comfortable, even when you're in the valley and it's not. Because we serve a God who was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and who will be there for us through it all. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we say, Amen.